0: This morning's message is simply entitled Thyatira. And we are going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Now, this morning's message is going to be a little bit different. We're not going to have any points. Uh, we're not going to have any subsets or anything like that. This morning, we're just going to walk through the passage. And the reason we're doing that this morning is because the discourse to, or the message to Thyatira is very similar. uh, The the situation was very similar to that of our previous church in Pergamum. And so I didn't want to make the same points. I didn't want to have sort of the same repetition So what I want to do this morning is I want to emphasize a few different things as we study the Word this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage for us, and then we're going to just start breaking it down bit by bit and talking about a few things. And the few things that I want us to talk about, or I want you to notice this morning that um, we haven't necessarily pulled out, is number one, I want you to notice the the descriptors of Christ that are mentioned. The descriptors of Christ. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Number two, I want you to notice this morning the level or the distinct description of the immorality or the sin that is being accomplished by some in the church and how important it is to Christ that the church practice holiness, that the church practice holiness. And thirdly, I want us to recognize the situation that the church is in and how that correlates with other churches and how that relates to our own situation uh, that we are in. And so we're going to walk through those this morning briefly. So if you would join me in reading, we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 13 through 29, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent... But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of, their work, of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden only hold fast what you have until I come the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with him with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from the father And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless us, bless the reading of your word. We ask you to show us mercy this morning as we try to pull apart and tease apart the scripture, tease out the different elements, Father, that you would have for us that would help us to grow in conformity to your will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The city of Thyatira is a little bit different than those other cities like Ephesus and Pergamum. Uh, It was not nearly as prominent as those other cities. Uh, The commerce was not as great. Um, There wasn't as much influence. And we don't hear as much about the pagan behaviors and those sorts of things that were prevalent in the other cities. What we do know, though, is that it was a. It it, it had a bustling industry, um, that there was a lot of manufacturing that was occurring in that city. There were a lot of skills and trades that were being accomplished. And there was a lot of teaching of those skills and trades. And one of the things that was evident is that if you followed Christ, and if Christ was your portion then it made it very difficult for you to participate in the trades that were being accomplished at that site. And if you couldn't participate in those trades, then you could not thrive. You couldn't live. You wouldn't be able to feed your family. You wouldn't be able to uh, survive in that city. You would be destitute, in a sense. And so imagine, uh, in our day, in our culture, that if you profess Christ, and, and more importantly, because Jesus talks about this this morning, about the deeds. Not that you just profess Christ, but you follow Christ and you, you embody uh, the deeds of Christ. You act like a believer. You believe the things that Christ teaches. You believe the Bible. And you don't just believe it, but that you, you live it out. So you, you call sin, sin. You don't behave in sinful, unholy uh, ways that are full of debauchery, but that you live as Christ would have us live. Imagine if that's your life, and hopefully that is our lives. But that if you wanted to work in your chosen profession, you're not allowed to because they don't accept that kind of holy behavior. They don't. They're not going to allow you to teach. Elementary and middle school and high school students anymore because you believe in Jesus and you refuse to teach some of the things that are mandated by our culture. Imagine that you are in a career of, uh, let's say, some sort of business type career, like you work at a bank or something like that, and you aren't able to work there because you don't abide by certain a certain lifestyle or a certain set of beliefs. Imagine that you work in the area of social work, that you're in the area of social work working with children and families, and they won't let you work there anymore because you hold Christ higher than any other God, any other belief, any other worldview that Christianity is it for you. But they won't let you work there anymore because you abide by that. Imagine that when you fill out a job application, you have to check not just your race, not just your gender, I don't even know what that is today, but that's another story, but that you have to check who you worship. And if you say Jesus, you don't get to work as a teacher anymore. You don't get to work in a bank anymore. You don't get to work in social work or as an electrician. You are completely shut out of those career choices because of who you worship. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but that is the nature of the lives of Christians during the first century. And folks, some of those things that I just mentioned to you might sound sort of familiar because it's that kind of prejudice that we are starting to see. Now, it's not that overt yet, it's not that overt, but it's coming. Now, remember that these churches were real churches in the first century. They were real churches in the first century, but what you're going to notice is I think that they are somewhat of a a symbol as well for what is to come. That what was old is made new again, right? Right? It's sort of like, you know, in the 60s and 70s, they wore bell-bottoms. And in the 80s, they wore parachute pants, right? And then what do we have coming into the 90s and the 2000s? Well, the bell-bottoms are back, and then the parachute pants are back, and all these other things are back, right? Well, it's the same thing in our culture as well. The old is then made new again. And I don't mean that in a... Christian perspective. So that's the first thing I want us to realize, what these churches were going through, and especially Thyatira. But Jesus tells the angel, to tell John to write to the angel of the church of Thyatira this, he said, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are burnished, are burnished bronze. What does that mean? We could say two things about that. Number one, Christ sees everything. I believe we've said this before, and I think it bears witness again, is that if you are being maligned for your faith in Christ, if you are being persecuted, if you are being held back because you trust Jesus over all the ways of the world, if Christ is your portion, and yet the world holds that against you, While you are being maligned, Christ sees you. It is not going unnoticed. It may go unnoticed throughout the rest of the world. Nobody else may appreciate, may love, may hold dear what you hold dear, but Christ sees you keep pressing on. I understand and I feel it every day out in the world, that it is difficult to follow Christ and not get an eyebrow raised or not feel as if you are being undermined or feel as if you are backwards in some way. And then there are times where you even, it even crosses your mind for a moment to say, why am I even making the effort? It doesn't seem as if it's making any difference. What I want you to know is that Christ sees you. He sees you. So press on. Press on. But when you flip the coin to the other side, there is another side. That if you, and I'm not speaking primarily to you all, I believe and I hope anyway that we follow, we fall into that first scenario, but I think that it bears out to say that if you, are living a life contrary to Christ. You are following the patterns of the world. You are living a life contrary to the will of God. A life that is unholy. I want you to hear me. Christ sees you. He sees you. And see, this is what's interesting. In a world that is depraved as we live in, which was just as depraved in the first century, in a world like that, it is easy to hide amongst the masses of individuals who are walking counter to Christ's will. It's easy to camouflage yourself with sin and unholiness because everybody else lives that way. So it's easy not to get noticed. But I want you to know that Christ sees you. You cannot hide from his piercing eyes. So since you can't hide, since you can't hide, since Christ sees everything and he is our primary focal point of worship, then I call you, I call myself, I call the nations. This is every preacher should be saying this is we call upon the nations to follow Christ and let the chips fall where they may. You might lose your job. You might lose your home. You might lose your car. You might lose a lot of things. But for the sake of Christ, it's worth it. It's worth it. Remember, That the rich young ruler left with his home and his car and his fancy clothes, his fancy shoes, his fancy cameras and guitars and all those things. He left with all those things, but he left without Jesus. That's the first thing. I just want us to bring that up this morning. Not to mention that it pictures here that Christ's feet are like burnished bronze. What does that even mean? It means that for all the valuable things that were made, being made in Thyatira by all these trades and things like that, nothing compares to the value of this burnished bronze that was made, that was strong, and that was there for use in military action and other endeavors. Christ is more valuable than anything that we have. Let's continue. He says, I know your works, your love and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and your latter works exceed the first. He says, I see you. I know you. I know what you've done, and I applaud you. I applaud you for that. Keep doing. In fact, I know the works that you have accomplished and your patient endurance through this trial, And not only have you followed me, you continue to follow me to even greater maturity. He says your later works are even better than the ones that were previous. That means you're getting closer to Christ. You're becoming more mature. As we get older in our faith, as we walk with Christ, all right? Let me put it this way. If you are walking with Christ faithfully then you should look different today than you did before. If you look no different than when you first came to Christ, then I ask, are you really walking with Christ? Are you truly following Christ? If years down the road you look no different, you're still making the same stupid decisions You're still behaving in the same sinful ways. You still believe the same unholy untruths that the world has to offer. If somebody were to spend the day with you today, who spent the day with you 10 years ago, would they be able to notice a difference? Can they notice a difference? The works of the Christians in Thyatira could be told, could be, could be, were revealed. And it was revealed that they had followed Christ and that they were continuing to follow Christ. Your latter works exceed the first. But then he says this, But I have this against you. Oh, no. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Let's not name our children Jezebel let's just, you know, ever, okay, so, you know, like, now, Bailey, you're having, you, okay, I'm, uh, all right, now, we prayed for you, okay, so, <laughs> who is this Jezebel, let's, let, we're gonna, we're gonna pause, right, we're gonna, we're gonna go on, and we'll come back, okay, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Let's just pause there for a second. You know, that name Jezebel uh, rings out even to individuals who don't know the Bible, okay? Like if you say the word Jezebel, you may not have any idea who she is, but you know that I, I, don't, I don't think she's real good. I don't think, I don't think she's a good thing. Like if you call somebody who knows nothing of the Bible, you call her a Jezebel, or him a Jezebel today, they're not going to like that, okay? Now, who is Jezebel? Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, and what was, what was she doing? She was leading the Israelites. If we go back to, to uh, the book of Kings, if we go back there and look, we'd see that Jezebel was trying to lead the Israelites, or trying to influence the Israelites, into greater immorality. "...into idolatry with food, eating meats that were committed to idols, and also trying to seduce them or to lead them into sexual perversion and sexual sin." That's what was happening. Now, if you remember Pergamum, they were also dealing with food sacrificed to idols. They were also dealing with sexual perversion. But here we have this individual that Jesus points out is a prophetess and calls her a Jezebel, and that she is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, was Jezebel in this text a real individual. Now, there are two ways to look at this and either way, in either case, we're going to be all right depending on which camp you fall in, okay? In one camp, we could say that there really was a woman in the church of Thyatira named Jezebel who was seducing individuals in the church, leading them to greater more immorality, sexual sin and idolatry, okay? And if you read it that way, You will still get the main point of that passage, okay? But I'm going to take it just a little bit of a different way. I don't think that they're referring to a specific individual named Jezebel. Jezebel here is a class of individuals. These are a class of individuals that are leading the people in the church astray. Okay, leading them to greater sexual immorality and leading them to choose foods sacrificed to idols. And it says here in verse 21 I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. That's very violent language. Let me explain what I think is going on here. I think Jezebel is symbolic. It's a metaphor for individuals leading the church astray and that Jesus has given time for those false teachers, given them time to repent. He has given them time to turn from their wicked ways, and yet they refuse. And so he says, I am going to throw them onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery, I believe that's spiritual adultery, those who follow the ways and the behaviors of Jezebel, they are going to go where she's going. And then it says that I'm going to strike her children dead. I don't mean, I don't think it means that those are literal children. I think what he means there is those who follow Jezebel are to be considered her children, and they too are going to suffer the punishment of Jezebel. Are we all on the same page there? Okay? So what's the main point? We can get kind of lost in the mire there. Here's, I think, the main point in Thyatira, as with other churches... There are individuals that are leading the church astray. Why? Because it's those behaviors, and I should say, the abstinence from those sinful behaviors that is holding the Christian community back from fully participating in society. They are destitute. They are broken as far as in society. And if they want to be fully participating in the society, then they need to follow this type of behavior. They need to follow Jezebel. Jezebel. Or the individuals classified as Jezebel, they're not refraining from anything. They are giving themselves over to idolatrous behavior, to sexual sin, to foods that have been sacrificed to idols. They're giving themselves over, and they have full access to everything that the city and the culture has to offer. But these Christians... In the, back, in, in the back of the room, who are choosing to follow Christ, are being held back. They're being maligned, they're being persecuted, and they are suffering because of that. Now, here's the thing. Does Jezebel just come to these Christians and say, forget Jesus, just do all this other stuff that the culture is and you'll be happy? I don't know that it's that overt. Here's what I think is going on. Here's what, this is what I can imagine. If I were Jezebel, this is how I would do it. Now, this is a scary thing. If I were Jezebel, this is how I would do it. Man, I hear that you're having a rough time. I heard you just got fired from that job. You got fired from the school because you would not teach something that was counter to what Scripture says. You know, here's what I believe. I believe, now this is Jezebel talking, I believe that Jesus really just wants to make sure you're happy. You ought to do anything that you can in order to be happy. So if that means that you've got to you know, kind of bend what you believe a little bit, if, if you have to compromise what you believe a little bit, you know, so that you don't look such like a stick in the mud so you can be happy, just go on and do it. It's not that big a deal. Remember, we're not under the law anymore. Surely Jesus will forgive you. Just go on and do it. That food sacrificed to idols, eat up. It's healthy. It's good. God, you, see, you see that girl over there? It's all right. It's all right. It's no big deal. Yeah, I know those Christian people call it fornication. But give in to it. It makes you feel good. It's happy. See that guy over there? He's handsome. Go have a chat with Him. Spend some time alone with Him. Get to know Him. You'll have an easier life. You'll maintain your job. You'll keep your finances. You'll succeed in this culture because of that. You see where I'm going here? It's not just turn your back on Jesus. It's chase after the world. That's the hook. The hook is always you'll be happier if you just give in. That's what she's doing. She's trying to convince the church that happiness is more important than holiness. And it's not. Your holiness your Holiness was bought and paid for with the blood of Christ. Your salvation was bought and paid for with the blood of Christ. We do not, as believers in Christ, give in to our culture just because we believe it will make us happier it will certainly make it easier. I watched a movie the other day, and I'm not going to give the name of the movie because, honestly, I don't want you all to go watch it. Um, But it it wasn't a Christian movie by any means, but it was a movie about these four drug addicts that each had a specific addiction. And it was... It, I, I came away from watching. First of all, I came away from watching the movie. Wish I hadn't watched it because of how crummy it made me feel. But the second thing that, it, uh, but in part, I'm happy I watched it because what it revealed so starkly were individuals who were chasing after what they thought would make them feel good and what would make them uh, happy. And in the end, every one of them were left destitute. I mean absolutely destitute and living in the grime of shame. Now here's the thing. It says here, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality we look at this and we say, well, this doesn't reference us because I'm not chasing after a fornicated lifestyle and I'm not eating foods that are uh, sacrificed to idols, so this doesn't really pertain to me, but I'm saying it does because these were the sins that were popular in this culture, but there are sins and beliefs that are common today. And by the way, sexual immorality is just as prevalent today as it was then. Okay, we can see that. And But I will say that there are other things that catch our eye. There are other things that the world wants us to bow to, but we can't lest we forsake our, our following Christ. And what I want to tell you is this. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Do not sacrifice, do not compromise your walk with Christ. We as Christians have got to draw a line in the sand. And you have to do it now. There are some that will say, this doesn't pertain to me now, it may later. And so when it does later, I will draw that line then. If you wait to draw the line, that line will never be drawn or it will always be drawn past the border of which it should be. Draw the line now and say, For me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I don't care what comes our way, we are not crossing that line. Draw the line now. Parents, draw the line for your children, at least while they're in your home draw that line. Grandparents, help your kids and your grandkids see the line which you've drawn and say, I ain't crossing that line. I ain't crossing that line because that line, Christ is holding that line. And he's given them a chance to repent, but she refuses Behold, verse 22, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. Folks, we cannot chase after these idolaters. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is the behavior of putting anything in the place of Christ subjecting Christ to anything else. And folks, that might be sexual immorality. That might be food, sacrificed to idols. That might be a relationship. That might be a child that you have. That might be one of your children. It might be a job. It could be a bank account. It could be a lot of different things. Any of these things can distract us from what we hold dear in Christ. And all the churches will know that I am who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. He's speaking again to those who are following the prophetess. He says, I'm going to give to each of those according to their works. What does that mean? I thought that we weren't living by works. We were living by faith. Well, we are living by faith. But if you're not living by faith in Christ, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get judged by your works. That's what's going to happen. And I don't care how holy you think you are, if you are not in Christ, your works are not good enough to wash you clean. Only the works that were performed in Jesus are good enough to wash you clean. We have so many people that we see daily who are abiding by the ways of the world, who are following after the prophetess Jezebel, in the name-it-and-claim-it strategy of being happy. And they have their reward. If we could say it in the words of Christ from Matthew, they have their reward. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. I love that phrase. And here's why I love that phrase. We often talk about knowing the deep things of God. And that's an important thing for us to know. To know the deep things of God. And some people are getting busy knowing the deep things of Satan. But for those who do not abide by the deep things of Satan, what does he say? To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. So he's he's like, don't do anything else. If you have not been following this Jezebel, don't do, I'm not asking you to do anything else. What do I want you to do? He says, only hold fast what you have until I come. He says, be patient and endure. Just abide. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is hard getting thrown under the bus. It is difficult. I remember a few years ago when I was asked to pray. I may have mentioned this. I'm not sure. I was asked to pray at a retirement party. They asked me to pray. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'll pray. I'm I'm good with that. And then they handed me a piece of paper to tell me what I was going to pray. And that prayer did not address anything about Christ, anything about God. It was a poem. Not even sure who wrote the poem because I didn't read it. I could just kind of see that it was a poem. And I kindly, not snarkly snarkily? Oh, well, we'll make that word up. huh? Snarky? There we go, snarky. In a kind way, I handed the paper back and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And they said, why? I said, because as a Christian, I can only pray according to Christ, and that's not what this does. I said, I, I appreciate the opportunity, but if this is what needs to be done, you need to ask somebody else to do that. They were happy to oblige. They did not throw me under the bus, but I do know that there was a little bit of an awkward feeling there. And folks, that awkwardness is only going to grow. And awkwardness is eventually, the more you follow Christ, and the more you follow, you draw that line in the sand and stand up to the world, that awkwardness is not going to remain awkwardness. It's going to, rem- it's going to grow to bitterness. And then it's going to grow to anger. And then it's going to grow to something that looks like persecution. That's what's going to happen. We know it's going to happen because it's already happening in pockets. And it's just going to be more prevalent. But Jesus says, hold fast. Don't do anything else. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Now, I thought Jesus was the one who had authority over the nations. You know why this is wonderful? It's wonderful because Jesus is inviting us in as His brothers and sisters in Christ to rule with Him. To rule with Him. And He will rule with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. I'm going to jump back here to Psalm chapter 2. And I just want you to hear this real quick. This is a psalm talking about the anointed one, talking about the Davidic king that would come. And listen to this. Who do the nations rage he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Kiss the son, let let he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless are all. Who take refuge in Him, folks? That will be us with Christ ruling and reigning. Now that does not mean that we are equal with Christ. Don't take it that far. What I mean is, is that Christ is inviting us in, and for all the nations, all the peoples that malign us now, they will be crushed with a rod of iron, like a potter's clay. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is this morning star? There's a lot of debate about that. But the conclusion is ultimately this. The morning star is Christ. The morning star is Christ. I've said this a lot, and I don't mind saying it multiple times until you get tired of hearing it. And hopefully you never do get tired of hearing it, but it's this. We talk of reward. We talk of reward a lot. We want a reward for many of the things that we do. Okay? Sometimes the reward is a paycheck, a raise. Sometimes the reward is a trophy. If you're a child playing soccer, and everybody gets one now, but that's another story. Okay. You know what? Sometimes, and parents, you'll get me get with me on this. Sometimes the reward is your child saying, thank you. I never realized how glorious those two words were until I became a parent. How much I yearned to hear the words, thank you. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean. When your child says, thank you, and you've not demanded it or threatened their life to get it, they just come out of the blue and say, thank you. That's a reward. But in all seriousness, we're always looking for rewards. I want to tell you this. For the Christian, the reward is Jesus. For those who endure patiently, the reward is Jesus. Some of us will go to great, great lengths to achieve or receive a specific reward or commendation, regardless of what that is summed up to be, what that amounts to be. What lengths are you willing to go? Or, let me put it this way, as a believer who walks by faith, all right, and one who is not beholden to the works, What lengths or what depths are you willing to endure for the sake of Christ? I don't want to scare you, but I just want to be honest with you. If you are following Christ, now it may not happen in your lifetime, but it very well could happen in your children's lifetime that your child will be out will will be without house and home because they cling to Jesus. I don't want to scare you. But I just think that this is a reality and I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm just kind of looking to where our society is going that to teach biblical orthodoxy will be considered child abuse and your children will be removed from your home. And here's the hard part. We have to be willing to continue to teach biblical orthodoxy. So you may say this is not approaching us right now in our lives, where we're at right now but it may approach your children or your grandchildren or your grandchildren's children's whatever, okay? It may approach them. They may have to deal with them. So this is what I want to ask. Are you preparing your children and your grandchildren to deal with the onslaught of the world? Are you teaching them to draw a line in the sand so that they will be faithful to Christ when the world comes calling. We talk about national debt, and sometimes, and I'll, I'll just admit, like national debt, I'm like, it's, it, it's not going to affect me. It might affect my kids or something like that. It's not going to affect me, right? That's not the way Christians look at the life of faith. It is our duty to prepare our children, to prepare our grandchildren to prepare our friends and our neighbors for what is to come. Because what we see in Thyatira was real and what we, and we are going to see it again and we're already seeing it. Are we preparing those around us to be able to handle the onslaught? We better. We better be preparing or they will be unprepared and they won't draw a line in the sand and they will cross it. They will cross it. And I'm just going to be honest. My prayer. I'm just going to tell you. I I think this might be one of the reasons why Paul was so adamant in hoping that Christ would come in his lifetime. Folks, I am eager to see Jesus. I am eager to see Jesus, and I'm just going to tell you, it's it's His will. It's His will, and He knows best. But folks, if I could call it right now, if I could just say, come on, Jesus, come on, I would do it right now. Just got done seeing Jackson Brown and James Taylor. I'm ready, okay? Bucket list has been kicked. I'm good to go, okay? The, all joking aside, I'm ready for Christ now. I really don't want my kids to have to deal with what I believe might be coming. But they may have to, and it's my job to prepare them for that. Are we prepared for that? Are we preparing those with us for that? Because the reward is Christ. That's what we've got to get to. We've got to get to the point, as, as I finish up here, I just want to say this. We have got to get to the point where we can say that Christ, as a reward, is enough. It is enough. That Jesus is Enough and we've got to work at convincing and teaching our children that Christ is enough. Because in the end, Christ may be all that you have left. The only thing you have left. Will that be enough when you lose your job? When you lose your house. When you lose your way of life, will Christ still be enough? If he's not, then we need to reevaluate where we stand. Think about this right now. If our world, if our culture comes and takes everything away from us, will Christ still be enough? I pray that he is. I pray that he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to give us a godly courage to stand to stand up in the face of our culture. so when the world comes calling and presses against us lord that we can draw a line in the sand and we say we will not cross this line for the sake of Christ we will not cross this line father i pray that there are those that those in here this morning have that kind of faith and that determination and that they will not compromise that they are willing to say that jesus is enough Father, I pray that if there are those in here that have not called upon the name of Christ, believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you would save them and enable them to be able to do that. Because no line, Lord, can be drawn without the Holy Spirit's enabling. And for those who are saved, I pray that we would remain committed and we would pursue holiness with a deep and abiding fervor that would exemplify Jesus to our children and our children's children and to those around us so that they would see that there is something different about us. And what's different is Jesus. May it be so. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?